0: slash iHeart
3: Sorry. It's a classic.
4: Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single Monday. And hosted by us. feelings about auto-tune. You know, that vocal effect loved by T-Pain, Cher, and many others. If you're in the
5: It's Not For Me group, you may have a change of heart after today's episode. We're talking with Jeff Smith. Founder and CEO of Smule, Stanford PhD, and classically trained musician, who surprisingly enough doesn't hate autotune, but sees it as a tool for expression. That's right.
4: Jeff tells us how he got
5: the idea to co-found
4: Smule, which develops music making apps, while he was pursuing his PhD in computer music at Stanford. Twenty years after studying computer science as a Stanford undergrad, for the first time in Jeff's life, music and technology came together in a way that he didn't see
5: coming. We discuss how to merge expressivity with accessibility, and how Jeff saw the potential in an iPhone as an instrument of making music and not just consuming it.
4: The iPhone is an instrument. I see what you did there, Christina.
5: Thank you. That was for you. (laughs) Anyway, let's just jump in with the episode, shall we? Let's do it.
4: Hi, Christina. Hey, Kate. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Jeff, I have to tell you, just before we hopped on with you, I was singing into my phone on an (laughs) app called Sing Karaoke, and I have to tell you, I was having a blast (laughs) doing it. Fantastic. uh, What were you
3: singing? Do you mind Uh, sharing? Yes,
4: uh, Believer by Imagine Dragons, which is uh, not an easy one to do, but surprisingly within my range. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Good call. Would you mind sharing or possibly inviting me to join you?
4: Uh, Oh oh my gosh. Now, how does one do that, Jeff?
3: We call that a collab. And there are around 3 million collabs per day on Smule. You do it by inviting me. So once you finish the performance, you could hit a little invite button and You can share privately if you're a bit more bashful. Sometimes (laughs) users in the first few days are more bashful. But over time, we lose those inhibitions and we open up. And then so that would allow you to use the public option where you could literally post your performance on our network and invite anyone to join. But that's okay. up to you. Oh, my no gosh. Up,
5: guys. No uh, yeah, uh, Yes. We... <laughs> what is this amazing app? And how can I collab
4: with Kate and others? Yes. Well, I, I, I just sense here like a Pandora's box in my life about to open, which I'm very excited about. So, Jeff, tell us about Smule, because Sing Karaoke is one of a bunch of apps that Smule has developed. Tell us what, what you guys do. How would you describe what you do at Smule?
3: We've built apps that allow people to create music through their phones often with other people across the world you could think of it on a social network for music where we're enabling all of this amazing creation to take place through your phones we've made it pretty fun and it's one of the things that i think is just part of who we are as people is creating music and what we're trying to do at Smule is bring music back to its roots as more of a creative expressive medium where you participate maybe the past hundred years we've spent a lot of time listening to music since edison invented the recording cylinder but maybe that's not all there is to music maybe participating and creating music is part of who you are and it's can be a lot of fun now it can be intimidating for some of us but i think once you get a little taste and once you realize that there's nothing to lose because everybody else is kind of going for it (laughs) it's really it's really fun
5: So you have a background as a classically trained musician, but you also have a PhD in computer-based music theory and acoustics from Stanford. That's a pretty interesting mix. You pursued the PhD while starting Smule. So I think we've had both PhDs and startup founders and even musicians, but never all at the same time. Why (laughs) Did you decide to pursue the PhD at that same time that you were founding a company? Why do it at the same time?
3: It was not a very good decision. (laughs) (laughs) I suffered deeply, as did many people around me, I'm sure. But, you know, it's one of the funny things about entrepreneurs. I think if you look at entrepreneurs, as the class of people who always make rational decisions. That probably isn't the case, certainly not for me. So I decided to go back to school late in life, having started a few companies and been somewhat successful with those companies. I took a company public, I sold a company to Novell, sold a company to Google, but I remember showing up for my first class as a PhD and I was over 40 years old and I walked into the first class and everybody was talking and having a grand time and then they all stopped talking when I walked into the class and it wasn't for a moment until I realized they thought I was the professor (laughs) so then I walked in and sat down on the first row of seats and pulled up my notebook and then they resumed talking and eventually professor arrived I guess maybe I haven't answered the question yet (laughs) 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 uh, I've always loved music my mother father met at a dance band started piano when I was four but for all of my life I'd separated music from my career and after I'd Developed my career, I put it on pause and wanted to go back and study music full time. And a few years into my program, I met a new professor that Stanford had just hired, Ga Wong, who just finished defending his dissertation at Princeton, where he'd built a new audio programming language called Chuck. And I spent a year at Stanford with Ga, me as a PhD student, he is the newly hired professor. And we both realized there was an opportunity to bring some of this audio technology to these new mobile phones. That was back in 2008. Uh And in the process, create a company where we would allow people to create music together through their phones. Our goal was to bring music back to its roots again as a creative, expressive medium. And I think neither of us really needed a startup. Neither of us was planning on starting a company. I think... We would have been better off with another hole in our head than starting a company, but <laughs> we couldn't resist. And here we are, nine years later.
4: That's so fascinating. So it really was the PhD pursuit that came first. What yes. What inspired you to go back to school and get your PhD in the first place at that
3: point? Uh, just probably the love of music. Yeah, which has been something that's part of many of our lives. I don't know many people who don't love music. I'm one of the people who
6: does.
3: (laughs) I felt that my undergraduate education, I focused more on the computer science than the music. I felt like the next time around, I wanted to reverse that and spend a lot more time on the music than the computer science. So I showed up one day at the music department at Stanford, had breakfast with the chairman, of the department. And I mentioned to him, I wanted to come back to school full time and get a PhD. And he started chuckling in a nice kind sort of way. (laughs) And then he said, well, you know, we have these night programs for people like you,
2: people like you. I love that phrase.
3: (laughs) Right. And I said, I really appreciate that. But if I want a glass of Chardonnay, I'll just stay home. I don't need to come on campus to do that. (laughs) And, uh, he said, well, then why don't you audit? And I think it was kind of one of those, you know, shoe fly, go away type of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I said, sure. And so then I audited full time for two years and I took every class and I loved it. And after two years, I came back and talked to him again. And I said, so I'd like to apply to the PhD program. And at that point in time, they accepted my application.
5: So was the two-year audit basically equivalent to almost like a master's program?
3: Yeah, it okay. was, and and so then that was oh five, gosh, long time ago, and then oh seven I was admitted into the program formally, mm-hmm. but I'd been a full time student for two years, and then in two thousand eight, around the time I had taken and fortunately for me passed my qualifying exam, Gah and I started smule
4: I I just love that you just showed up and kept showing up, <laughs> <laughs> and just said no I I'm serious. This isn't, you yeah. know, this isn't a night school kind of thing for me. Well, tell us about ultimately your PhD studies. Certainly they're very closely tied to the work that you and I have been doing at Smule. You know, what did you set out to discover and what did you ultimately find? I was reading in, in the abstract of your dissertation about mm-hmm. Bella Bartok and, and his work long ago and how you're kind of continuing yes. that. Can you break that down for us and our listeners a little bit?
3: Sure. Well, thank you for even looking at my abstract. Maybe you're the third person who's done that. (laughs) (laughs) So appreciate it. It's (laughs)
4: fantastic.
3: But uh, I entered the PhD program intent on studying composition. And then on the side, going deeper on musicology and performance. Mm -hmm. So I studied performance every quarter for seven years when I did my graduate work at Stanford. Mm Mm-hmm. But what I found a couple of years in was that maybe I wasn't going to be the most successful composer on the planet, and or maybe there were these opportunities to explore areas where it kind of was the intersection of some of the experiences in my life, namely technology and music. Mm-hmm. And up until that point in time, I'd formally separated technology from music. For me, music was this very intimate human thing that i shared and explored sometimes it was personal sometimes it was social with friends but i always had separated that from work and from computers hmm. and i and i valued that separation it kind of allowed me to come to peace with with work and some of the challenges you face in building companies what i found at stanford was that uh, it made a lot of sense to think about how the two of these might come together finally, at least for me. And one of the reasons for that is I was in the side of the music department that was the computer music department in part because that was really the only place I was qualified to get accepted as a PhD student. What I found, though, was working with Ga, working at Karma. by the way, Karma stands for the Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics. That's the computer music department at Stanford. Ah. What I found was that it was fascinating to begin c- to combine science with art for me the first time in my life hmm.
6: wow. and,
3: to ap- and to approach art from a slightly different, perhaps more disciplined perspective. For us and our team and my advisor, we, we decided, and I think this was the right decision, that it was a unique time to combine science with art in that now we had so much data that we'd accumulated in music, that we now had access to, hmm. that it was now possible to apply some of the techniques in the field of statistics and data science to that study to then confirm a lot of the research that had been going on for hundreds of years, or potentially to contradict that same research. But I guess what I found, and this wasn't the plan, so was not I didn't plan to start a company, <laughs> I planned to <a> study composition, <laughs> but a few years in, I realized that if I dug deeper on this discipline of data science and music, that there was an opportunity, perhaps, to develop new insights into why people engaged in music, mm-hmm. and that we could prove these insights with models and with data at Smule. Believe it or not, this year there will be 7 billion performances on mobile phones using our applications. Wow. And and so if you read the studies that were done, say, 20 years ago on why people engage in music and how, for example, they perform, maybe you would have five undergrads that would come in and play a Mozart piece or some scales. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you would go off a library and you would find 20 people that had performed the same Chopin mazurka. But from a standpoint of science, those are anecdotes. There really isn't anything significant we can conclude from such research. And then you contrast that with 7 billion performances, most of them geotagged. We can go to town. We can literally apply fairly detailed statistical models that help us understand why people are engaging with music, why different forms of music seem to travel better, why different cultures interpret music in different ways. This is all now possible at scale with Big Data.
0: slash iHeart
3: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
2: A
1: Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait!
0: Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
0: You're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist with Christina Wallace and Kate Scott Campbell.
5: I find this fascinating because you did your undergraduate degree at Stanford as well in computer science and you had mentioned in your linkedin that you lived in a computer lab and piano practice rooms for your time at stanford and yet in that basically that same combination of interests same you know location and university but 15 or 20 years earlier, you made a very different choice and you went down this computer science path and kept music more as a hobby, it sounds like. Was there ever a consideration to either integrate them then or think about music as the potential career path?
3: Oh, I loved music, and if you could make a nickel doing it, I probably would have done it, but I was so poor in college, <laughs> borrowing so much money mm-hmm. to try to survive. See, I grew up in Utah, and my parents wanted me to go to Brigham Young University, and their philosophy was that if you go to Stanford, that's fine, but we're going to give you the equivalent of what we would have paid you to go to BYU, which was mm-hmm. around $2,000 a year. Stanford's tuition when I was there is $12,000 oh plus room and board, so... I was living hand to mouth and was mo- <laughs> I was motivated. <laughs> I was motivated to do more than what you might be able to do as a musician. And I think that oh, influenced my. me. But I also think that I really loved computer science. I, I felt there was the opportunity to create things and maybe you could create things that would impact a lot of people. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So there, the parallel there for me perhaps was the creative side, but mm-hmm. that's where it ended, for me anyway, in the early years, because... I just looked at the computer science as as science and as a profession. And I looked at the computer as this cold, dark, calculating machine that was very (laughs) logical and that was very non-expressive. And then I contrasted that with going into the practice rooms or hanging out with my piano teacher and playing the Beethoven First Piano Concerto together together. For me, that was therapy or that was that was life or that was exploring these dimensions that had nothing to do with computer science. So I never thought about mixing the two hmm. until 20 years later in life. In fact, I intentionally didn't mix the two. I, I mean, one of the challenges for me is I just never felt that computers could be expressive. Really? I love live music. I love acoustic music. I love to see the performer. I love to kind of have that intimacy that connection to the performer. Mm. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to get that if everything's being routed through a computer. So it's a huge contradiction for me, in some ways, to be doing what I'm doing. And in fact, I have to tell you, when I started Smule, I went and I apologized to my piano teacher and I apologized to my voice teacher because I said, I'm destroying this tradition of making (laughs) piano performance accessible to anyone. And I'm turning auto tune on your phone with IMT paint so anyone can sing and hit notes. And so, you know, dear God, what am I
5: doing? Uh, but, I love that you apologized to your voice teacher for auto tune. I, <laughs> I did. a teacher in America appreciates that apology. Yeah.
3: But I, I guess yeah. ultimately I realized that it was possible to make it expressive, and it mm-hmm. was possible to make it expressive and social in these different dimensions. And as a society, you know, music literacy hasn't been growing the past 100 years. And so I think we have to be a little creative on how we bring people back in and allow (laughs) them to explore what it means to be expressive or to create songs, because it really is part of who we are.
4: I'm so curious, when you experienced the two coming together, did it feel like, oh, yes, this is what it's all been leading to? Or did it feel like, Uh, what is happening (laughs) experience for you?
3: The latter. Really? I felt that I did not anticipate this convergence. Hmm. And so for me, it was almost like getting baptized for the first time and being converted to a new religion, a religion that I had denied and didn't subscribe to. Wow. But once I got there, what I began to realize was the power was to bring a lot of people together and a lot of people that didn't have these experiences or skills together. And that's kind of maybe the epiphany for me. The epiphany for me was the, the potential scale. And then the leap of faith was, well, let's figure out how to make it more expressive. Maybe it's not as expressive as a guitar Guitars are so expressive. You look at an amazing jazz guitarist. Mm. They're singing through that instrument. Yeah. And you look at them and you, you can hear it. And it's it's almost a connection with the voice. And I'll digress for a moment. I, I find that in a lot of musical performance through instruments, we're approximating the voice. We're imitating the voice because the voice is just so connected to our soul, our being. Mm. And it's so capable of expressing all different types of thoughts and emotions. And you see that in these guitarists. And I began to see that on iPhones. Mm. And again, it took a bit of a leap of faith, but we then began to explore that dimension and parallel with seeing if we could allow people to do this together. Because maybe that's one of the things we've also lost, musical literacy (laughs) being one thing, but being together with music being another Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if I'm T-Pain recording a track in the studio and then people then stream it and listen to it, we're not really together. You contrast that with Chopin playing for his friends in his parlor every few evenings. (laughs) It's a very different experience of how you Mm -hmm. connect with people. That was one of the challenges, but that was also the leap of faith. And to riff on that briefly, one of the things we found is that there was ways to use technology itself to become expressive. And that, like, T-Pain would be an example of somebody who'd use technology to be expressive. So I stopped judging autotune, and I realized that that was one way that he was being expressive. By the way, you could turn off autotune, and T-Pain still sounds great. (laughs) He's phenomenal. But for him, it was a little bit of color, a little nuance, a different type of sound, singing flat into these filters. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a sound that our ears picked up on and were curious about and began to explore. And I think that's part of what we also want to do at Smule, And, you know, we have all kinds of filters. In fact, we could drop in a filter where you sound like you're in the San Francisco Opera Hall. And, and in fact, we put in some of the top opera performers if you want to sing with them at <laughs> But maybe there's way other ways to be expressive and and that I shouldn't be this purist of looking down on technology, especially if peak's interest of folks brings them in and then we see where they go. Maybe they want to come back and play the real piano. By the way... The real piano, like a Steinway, is one billion times better than our magic piano on the iPhone in terms of its expressive capability. It's an amazing instrument. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it takes a long time to master the skill and it doesn't fit very well on your train ride home for work and so it's maybe not the most accessible instrument to most of us but maybe there's the opportunity to bring people in and then and then they begin to explore go further with music and so maybe my apology to my music professors was was in the short term accurate but in the long term maybe we actually bring more people in
5: I love the thought of using technology to bring people together for a collaboration, Right, the, the idea yes. of making music together. I've yes. I been a musician my entire life, and one of the reasons I actually shied away from piano as my primary instrument and towards singing in choirs and playing cello yeah. in an orchestra was the chance yeah. to play music with other people. Yes. And I've been able to sing Into adulthood in choirs for that experience. It's not even for the performances, it's for the chance to make music together. And as someone who lives in a tiny Brooklyn apartment with no room for a Steinway grand piano, it turns out singing was a much more accessible instrument for the way that my life works now. I think some of my photographer friends finally embraced Instagram and all of the power that Instagram brings. Even though it's not their beautiful expensive DSLR cameras right. there is something there that has turned everyone into a mini photographer in yes. in some dimension and I, I love this idea of you know bringing people in through Smule to introduce them to the power of making music and not just consuming music I think that's the yes. same argument we're making about getting you know a diversified group of people learning to program computers so that they're making yes. technology and not just using technology. I see a yes. lot of parallels in your work there.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And by the way, you can still use Instagram and then go buy the expensive camera. There's nothing stopping really? you from going deeper, <laughs> right? It's not Absolutely. a replacement. It's just more of an expansion and an expansion that allows more people to participate. And That's an analogy that's possibly relevant for what we're trying to do with music and mm-hmm. why we're building these filters and these applications that open up that creative process to a much wider group of people across our globe Mm -hmm. and then of course the social opportunity to create songs with other people so if you allow me i had this really fun experience in my office yesterday
6: yeah i
3: was in the middle of my staff meeting my exec admin comes in renee god bless her she's been with me for 20 years you should feel sorry for her. we all do (laughs) and she says jeff we have four visitors who've flown in from around the world and just showed up and they want to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I finished the staff meeting, jumped out, went into our lobby and there they were sitting there. And there's these four people in their I want to say mid sixties who for the past four years have been creating songs together with Smule. And two years ago, they decided they were going to plan a trip, go hang out together And then they were going to come to our office. And they sent us a note saying, hey, can we come by? I guess we didn't return. it, so they showed up. (laughs) And I got a chance to visit with them. And it was a gentleman from Australia, a woman literally from uh, just outside of New York, Westchester. Um, Another lady from down in Florida who was late getting in because of the hurricane. But she's okay. It was really unfortunate, though. Mm. And then another lady from Montana. And these guys didn't know each other until they started singing songs together. And now they sing songs together every day. And it's just part of their life. And they were, they were coming in more or less to say they wanted to thank me for the opportunity we'd created for with these products, with this technology, for them to come together and begin creating music together and, and to develop for them which these lifelong relationships and friendships. Wow. So much so that they were willing to fly around, uh, you know, the country, uh, across the world to, to come meet with each other, and, and we're finding that that's that's really inspiring for me, uh, very humbling, very humbling for me uh, to see this. But that's something that's happening every day. And look, we'll take some credit, but most of the credit just belongs to all of us. It really is part of who we are, and we just kind of needed a little bit of a nudge to be willing to open up and start singing songs and playing music together.
4: That's so incredible, Jeff. What an incredible story. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun when you go to your website, you know, you can see these incredibly talented singers singing with, you've gotten a lot of, really, really well-known singers to, to lay down a yes. track. Nick Jonas and Ed Sheeran and Camilla Cabello. Yeah. And and it's really, really cool to see, you know, these people around the world. Yeah. I'm so inspired by, you know, you're, you're in your PhD program. You yeah. guys start to figure out, okay, we re- there's an opportunity here to bring people together for music literacy. How do you whittle that down into an idea for what a specific app will be or, or what that will do? How do did you sort of figure out, you know, going from a big picture to, you know, the inroads mm. that you've, that you've figured out?
3: That's a fun question. When I look back, there were a number of factors that influenced the decisions we made on products that we built. I think part of what enabled us to build beautiful, innovative products was our recognition that we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we, we knew that we were naive I'd never built a consumer company at scale before. Co-founder and I both probably should have been committed. We mentioned that earlier. (laughs) And I think this celebration of naivety meant we knew nothing about what work, which meant that we could try anything. And so like one of the first things we tried was, could we take an audio engine, put it on your iPhone and detect the friction against the microphone while you're blowing? to give you an approximation of actual wind to the extent that we could literally allow you to use tonguing, something you might use on a flute to articulate notes, literally by detecting friction against the microphone, air. And we tested it out, it worked, and then we built the ocarina back in 2008. But our, our goal was, how can we make this device expressive and accessible? And I think history is littered with music startups that failed for for one of two reasons. By the way, they're usually started by musicians, so look out. But one reason (laughs) is they build products that they want to be even more expressive than what you can buy or use like a violin or an ocarina. And so they're incredibly expressive, but in the process, they're entirely inaccessible to virtually all of us. And so there's Mm -hmm. really no market for people to use them. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you see companies that build products that are super accessible and really fun, but not expressive. And because they're not expressive, we kind of lose interest in those products over time. Like I remember, forgive me, a gentleman from France came and visited me a few months ago and he was demonstrating his new technology, where as input, you would give it three notes. And then from the three notes, it would construct a song. And he was so proud of it. He said, you could even have a cat perform a song. (sighs) And I said, that's amazing. And by the way, it was amazing. But my question back to him was, well, is it expressive? Hmm. And put another way, Would you really want to listen to the song that your cat played? Because I'm not sure I do. (laughs) Uh, It's thinking about really the intersection of those two contradictory goals. How do you allow the expressivity, yet at the same time the accessibility? Mm -hmm. And that's what we've often struggled with and thought about in the construction of products, but from a mindset of naivety where we have no idea what's going to work. The ocarina worked, and it was really fun. You could allow people who had no musical background to blow into their iPhone's microphone and push down some combination of the four holes we gave you on the touch screen, which is 16 pitches to play all different types of songs. And then we put up a song book with call it a guitar tabulature type of format except Mm -hmm. with ocarina so here you pull you press three holes and here you press two holes these two holes yeah you know it took off it was the number one application in every app store across the world for a month because there was an appetite for that but the journey towards creating the ocarina was just testing what was possible and then trying to see if there was an appetite for it but trying to find the balance between allowing people to be expressive but also making it accessible. And in the Mm -hmm. case of the ocarina, by the way, it was your breath, you know? So just like our voice is expressive, Mm -hmm. your breath is too. And it was really fun. We'd give you the globe and performances across the world and you could tune in, you could hear somebody over in Kyoto, Japan performing, and you could imagine hearing their breath Um, (laughs) because it it was their breath. And then we built these cool graphics where you see these notes emanating from Terra up into the cosmos in a circular (laughs) arc. (laughs) <laughs> and it was it was really quite inspiring yeah. to think about yeah. people playing music through their phones and then, of course one of the other things we did was we had our co-founder perform a very famous song for ocarina it's from the video game uh, zelda Oh my gosh. the theme from Zelda. Sorry. It's a classic. It's a classic. And so we had this song. Beautiful. And so when people would watch this video, they're looking at a dude blowing into his iPhone and it sounds like a flute. And then they recognize the song and for A generation of people who spent a good chunk of their life playing this game. (laughs)
6: Yeah. That Mm -hmm.
3: song is etched into their mind. Oh, it's iconic. (laughs) And they hear it and they would (laughs) immediately go into a trance where (laughs) they wanted to go play it. And so this was our hook of allowing people to come in. But anyway, I think I've tried to tell you a little bit about it, but it was this trying to understand Really the intersection between expression and accessibility, but then just exploring what's possible.
5: So, Jess, you have kids, right?
3: I do. I have a a son and I have two daughters. How old are they? My son Noah's 17. My daughter, Charlie, uh, Charlotte, is 13. And by the way, she just won her tennis match. And uh, it was exciting for me. And then uh, my daughter, Sabine, is uh, nine. So what's the
5: role of music in your family with uh, with the three of them and, you know, obviously the company you've built, the PhD that you've pursued, where does music fit in for you guys as a family?
3: I haven't honestly thought about that question <laughs> so much. Uh, <laughs> I've spent most of my time just kind of celebrating their lives and their passions mm. uh, and just marveling in. What they do now, truth be told, they all play piano, mm-hmm. and my son plays trumpet in his jazz band, and my daughter, Charlie, sings in musicals and sings also in her jazz band, and uh, my daughter Sabine is learning to play the flute, and so there's there's a lot of music in the home. I think as much as anything, that's the fabric that's kind of been a building block or knitted our some provided some of the knitting for our family mm-hmm. uh, because. Uh, we we play. They will come home from school and I'll be playing and then they'll play and mm. and we'll sing. And I think for them they just assume that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. They just assume that's it's not that I'm going to my piano lesson and that I have to do it. It's just that's part of your life. You mean you mm. eat breakfast and you go to sleep at night and you play the piano and you sing. That's just part of who we are. And so more than anything, that's that's rubbed off on them with respect to the company and the rest. They like it. I think they really like it. My daughter Charlie sings a lot of songs. I mean, the joke I made to the company after we shipped our guitar product, because it was so popular with my children, was that it was time for me to go finish the basement because they were spending so much time on our guitar product, they weren't going to they were going to drop out of high school. They weren't going to go to college. You
6: know. <laughs> we're, we're going to
3: need a place to kind of give them a home after they f- you know, eventually finished high school, maybe, um, <laughs> because it was, it was so much fun for them. But we had my daughter Sabine, all right, I'll show you a little secret. Um, you know, you talked about the partner artists who are launching songs, original versions of songs on our platform and it's so much fun you like have the professional version coming out on youtube or spotify and then you have an original version on Smule. it's like when jason Drulo does his songs on Smule; it almost looks like he's filming from his bathroom
5: and <laughs>
6: yeah
3: it's hysterical and so we're doing some of these same things with with disney now and my daughter sabine wanted to do a duet from maui the demigod from wana and so we created this opportunity for her to create a song with with maui it was awesome she got an invite and said hey will you come sing a song with me and then she clicks yes and then it drops her into the screen where they're taking turns it's his turn and then it's her turn and there are the lyrics and she could turn on the filtering if she needs a little help and then when she's done she taps the button and out comes this new video of her literally a mixed duet video duet with her and maui the demigod and then we share that with her grandma, with some of her friends. And so my kids look at that and they, I think that they think it's really fun. I think that they <laughs> think that it's kind of fun that they could come in and experience these things. And I'm not sure they fully understand the, the scope of it all. But I think it's more about music and it's more about just celebrating the joy of creating music with others that they've discovered, like many others, through the through these products.
4: I, I'm so curious too, Jeff. Back to while you're doing this PhD and launching Smule, how did you balance the expectations on on both sides of that equation? Certainly, your family is, I'm sure, practicing patience and understanding. But on mm. on the PhD side and the and the startup side, did you encounter doubts about continuing in your PhD from your investors and board members, or did your professors worry about you turning stuff in on time? How did you kind of say, you know, on both sides, guys, it's it's, it's going to be okay?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it was an adventure. I don't mm-hmm. think there was a script. I think we kind of rolled with it and uh, <laughs> improvised and everybody did the best they can. I was fortunate, I think, in that I had my advisor, who had been the chairman of the music department, who really encouraged me and who saw this opportunity to have kind of an unconventional student. And I can remember when I was first trying to get admitted, the assumption was that I didn't really fit in. And I didn't. That's the truth. But I think he saw the potential. And then when I came in and took all of the classes and worked hard on the papers, then it was okay. It was more accepted. It wasn't this crazy person that's coming in. But even through my qualifying exam, I can remember instances like there was a member of my qualifying exam committee who really didn't like that I was working at this company and really didn't like some of the values I had around music and accessibility and, and challenged some of them. But you fast forward five years and after the qualifying exam, when I defended, he was there and he was completely supporting me in the work and the, and then the research we did. So it was a little bit of an uphill climb at times, but for the most part, big pockets of support and people willing to kind of challenge convention and find different ways and approaches to why we would want to study music and in what point in life we might want to study music on the work side i was blessed with a really strong board and a really strong management team where sometimes i wonder if my participation in the company inversely correlates with our success and maybe <laughs> maybe it was better but I was less involved in some instances and gave them more rope to go off and build things and, and build leadership in, inside of the company. Like Jeannie Yang, our chief design officer, she's been at the company seven, eight years. She's had two degrees from Cal and she's unbelievable. Mm. I mean, she built out this, uh, the Sing products, hers. Building out the community of understanding how to connect people, it's just it, a lot of it comes from her. And I think maybe. What happened with me was, look, I was committed. I was there. I was working like a dog, but I wasn't going to be able to drive all of the decisions inside of the company while I was taking classes at Stanford. And,
6: mm-hmm. and
3: she was one of the people that stepped up, filled that void, and I think flourished. Maybe the short way of saying it was a horrible plan, but <laughs> I was, but but I was I was fortunate, yeah, uh, to be surrounded by some people that were willing to work with it and. And then I think along the way, I saw the, kind of a very unconventional, innovative approach to lots of different problems, including, you know, the dissertation itself.
5: What's yeah. next for you and for Smule? What, what's your five or 10-year big picture?
3: We're just getting started. We now have, what, 54 million users a month. Uh, we've touched over 300 million people. But our community is performing around 25 million songs a day, uploading I mentioned 3 million or more collaborations a day, collabs. We have people across the globe that are using this product now to create songs together. We have, one of the more inspiring moments for me is when I saw a duet on a Lionel Richie song between this woman in Indonesia with traditional Muslim clothing and a, a dude from Kentucky who looks a lot more like me, you know, tall white guy. Um, <laughs> And they're literally singing like Endless Love Together
4: oh my uh, with my <laughs> <That's> product <incredible.
6: laughs>
3: uh, across the internet. And it was a beautiful Okay, note. that's by amazing. Way, <laughs> yeah, by the way, Citra is one of my favorite performers mm. on our platform. She is, it's Karen Carpenter like clarity in oh her voice and her, her control, her range. And by the way, awesome. she now has around. 300,000 recordings on our platform because every time she puts down a new track, she'll have a thousand people join her and create a thousand new instances of that track because everybody wants to sing with Citra, even though she's not a pop star in truth, she's a mother. She's got like a five-year-old kid and she just likes to sing on the side. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. So, (laughs) As far as what's next, I feel like what's next is precisely what we've been trying to do for nine years and that's connect the world through music, Mm. bring these people together through this medium, allow them to be expressive, allow them to be creative, allow them to do it together, to create this new medium that's binding people together. And I'm going to sound a little corny now, but it's sincere in a a transcendent way where there isn't the same agenda that you have with so many other things going on in our world. Mm. And we think there's an opportunity to have not just millions, but billions of people discovering music and creating music and and participating. And so that's what's next. We're just getting started on the potential for allowing the expressivity in in other dimensions. On the internet and mobile, we've had such an emphasis on video, which is amazing. And by the way, our eyes are amazing, but so too are our ears. Mm-hmm. And you can, can you imagine what videos like without audio? You know, it'd be like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but there's no jelly. Um. It's still not bad,
6: <laughs> but it's a,
3: it's a lot better with the jelly. And so our mm-hmm. focus on audio, think, I think this gives us a different dimension into what's possible with video plus audio and how we can make that an expressive medium around music. Hmm. Another theme is we're opening up more and more of our platform to tap into the creativity of our community. Gosh, forgive me, but one brief analogy here. We have a music team of 10 people who produce the catalog of songs that people sing. So we're recording the music, we're putting the lyrics, the timing, the notes, and then we turn that on so you can jump in, grab your song and all of that's opened up to you. We were producing songs at a rate of three a day. Three years ago we figured out how to crowdsource that to our, our community was creating the catalogue. And so the production rate's gone up to 6,000 a day. So it took us five years and a team of 10 to produce 2,000 songs, and it was mostly U.S. pop, although some classical music on the piano. And here we are uh, producing a million new songs every six months and across the world. So we have a catalogue of several hundred thousand songs in Indonesia now, in India, in Japan, in Brazil, in Russia. And so we've opened up that creative potential not only to perform, Songs and create recordings, but also to create the arrangement or an original version of a song. And so, what we're finding is the more we open up this platform and tap into the potential of the community, the more we grow and have amazing experiences and deeper experiences for a lot more people across the world.
4: At Stanford as a consulting professor, and I just loved hearing you describe yourself as an unconventional student. So, what sort of piece of advice would you give for another unconventional student who, you know, maybe feels like a fish out of water in his or her department, um, but is feeling compelled to, you know, pursue a body of work that he or she is interested in?
3: Ironically, I'm giving the same advice to our oldest child
6: hmm.
4: who's
3: applying to college. I guess the advice would be this, take time to explore.
6: Mm-hmm. There's
3: so much of this world that we don't know. How much do we know what truly resonates with us? So much in academia now is, is specialized. You know, poor These poor kids applying to college, many of them, they want them to declare before they apply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you want to apply to the music program at USC, well, guess what? You have to declare a music major. That's a fairly significant commitment for a 17-year-old to make, just to be admitted to college. You know, as a PhD or as a composer, it's all about the specialization, about the differentiation. And I think we kind of get a little hung up on that. And I wonder if instead, being willing to explore a bit, being willing to tear down some of the assumptions around convention, allow us to go deeper in areas that make make might make more sense for us. So it's it's not the necessarily to do what you love. I think it's be a little bit more patient and take more time to explore what what's possible. And I gosh I would hope that more of our kids will have the opportunity to do that in college or mm-hmm. in high school. My son he wants to study engineering and I'm saying that's fantastic. And I said, well I want you to study English. I want you to study music. I want mm-hmm. you to do a little philosophy because mm-hmm. I mean how do you really know yeah mm-hmm. how do you really know what kind of re- resonates with you and at your core and mm-hmm. you know, do we do we really need to make that decision before you've submitted your application I, <laughs> I, I hope mm-hmm. not I'm, I'm troubled by that
4: yeah. Well, that's fantastic advice, and certainly, no pun intended, music to our ears. (laughs) We (laughs) we love hearing that. that. Pun intended. I know. I mean, it was just it happened, and I felt that I needed to address it. Jeff, it's been so wonderful to hear about you and Smule, and we are at the time in our show for the lightning round. Now, this is very fun and easy and quick. We're just going to ask you a handful of questions, and your job is to just give us the first answer that pops into your brain, and we, in turn, will do our best not to ask follow-up questions, which is difficult for us, but we're getting better at it. <laughs> we are. So, are you ready? I am. Question one is, what are you reading right now?
3: Our mutual friend, Charles Dickens.
4: Oh, I <laughs> love that.
3: It's Question. hysterical. It's one of the funniest books I've ever encountered. Oh, Al- my almost as funny as Jane Austen. Not, <laughs> not, not,
6: no, not, not, that
3: not quite. <laughs> and a little, you know, a little bit more critical of the society going on. Yeah. But so witty. Oh, my it. goodness, the characters are incredible.
5: <laughs> Great. Question two. What was the last thing that made you go, oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, Bach-Goldberg variations, I'm working on a new set of them, and my gosh, they're difficult, mm-hmm. but they're from a different world, it's almost magic, the experience of going through some of these pieces, and, you know, they're written for an instrument that it's 300 years ago doesn't exist anymore, it's impossible to play on the piano, but there's just something that's sublime that's built into this architecture of these pieces, that they, it just goes deeper and deeper, Um, with your mind and with your subconscious. It's, It's magic.
4: I love it. Okay, next question. You're doing great. What is the first album that you ever bought? Do you remember?
3: That goes back quite a ways, but I believe it's Elton John, Rock of the Westies. I loved it. It was amazing. And gosh, I still love Elton.
5: Yeah.
4: Isn't he? Incredible?
3: He's, he's I mean incredible. who doesn't
5: love Elton? He's just a
4: Daniel, genius. Daniel,
3: my brother, oh Rocket my gosh. Man. Oh, Benny yes. and the Jets. Benny and the Jets.
4: Yeah. <laughs> my nephew is named Benny, and uh we we play that for him
5: now all the time, and he just loves it. He's three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, question four. This one's gonna be hard. What is your favorite duet to sing on Smule?
3: Oh, I have several, but <laughs> it's probably a Johnny Cash
5: oh and
4: nice
3: and it's probably Unchained which is a pretty humble song
4: oh yeah beautiful it's
3: t- talking about life perspective and how much he's learned and how much he regrets and how he's kind of trying to push through and come to some acceptance with with that life experience
5: Awesome, solid choice Awesome.
4: And last last but not least, uh, (laughs) give a shout out for a woman who's doing awesome things in startups or in music. Just, we know it's really hard to pick one, but you know, someone who's doing some cool things and you just want to give a little extra love to.
3: Pranagupta Hooked, inspiring talent, Hmm. gifted, gifted entrepreneur, amazing communicator, one of the top product folks you'll ever come across. And she's got this amazing company. You got to interview her. And she's doing it with her husband Prague, but she's the CEO. And Hooked basically is storytelling in a text message format through a community of people that are creating these new forms of fiction that mm-hmm. they allow people to then share with other people, but you consume it in a format like text messaging. It's awesome. So it's it's almost Uh, enabling the creativity around fiction writing in an accessible format, similar to maybe what we're trying to do with music and Smeal. A huge fan of Prerna and Hooked.
4: Very cool. Well, Jeff, we are huge fans of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun.
5: Yes, thank you. This was a really fun
6: hour.
3: Well, thanks, guys. Sorry I got a little rambly there, but (laughs) it's it's from a good place because, I mean— it's so inspiring to see uh, what's going on with with music and the opportunities that this is having to bring so many different people together. So sorry, I, I went off on it, but thanks so much for enduring me and allowing me to join your show today.
5: <laughs> no apologies necessary.
4: <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Take care.
0: I
2: this is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually